Hello, world. What is up? Welcome back to the Feelings Lab. I'm your host, Matt Forte. And for today's episode, we're talking about aesthetic appreciation and fine art. a topic I've been itching to get back into ever since we had Richard Karras from NVIDIA on to tackle digital art. Uh, today, we'll explore another facet of that conversation and looking at the rapidly evolving fine art community. Uh, the ways we as humans create, share, and appreciate art have simultaneously evolved over the years while remaining largely unchanged since our fingers first pressed pigment onto the cave walls. Uh, to this day, across all generations, the most impactful art elicits an emotional response. It communicates or perhaps even challenges a point of view. Art is inherently subjective. Uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. One man's trash is another man's million dollar exhibit, so on and so forth. But, but what happens when we start to tweak ever so slightly some of the traditionally held beliefs surrounding art? If a human being is not directly responsible for the production of said piece, is that art? Uh, what happens if the preference for AI-generated art exceeds that of traditional human-produced work? If a piece exists solely in the digital realm as a collection of ones and zeros, does that increase or decrease its value? Uh, between AI, PFP NFTs, DeFi, GAN networks, AI CAN, and a host of other acronyms, I promise you, I am not making up. Uh, the world of fine art, like most societal constructs and subcultures these days, is on the precipice monumental change. In fact, I think we're probably well past the precipice at this point, a post-precipice, if you will. Uh, one such company at the forefront of this shift, incidentally, also sits at the crossroads of the old guard and new, making both the traditional and unconventional worlds of fine art not only infinitely more accessible, but also joyful for all. Co uh, connecting collectors with the artists and artwork they love, uh, that company, of course, is artsy. Joining us today from Artsy, we have a phenomenal guest that I'm really excited to bring on in just a moment. But first, a fine how do you do to my co-host, CEO, and chief scientist for Hume AI, Dr. Alan Cowan is back with me. Alan, welcome back to the show. How you doing, bud? Doing great. Thanks, Matt. Awesome, man. It's good to see you again. Uh, fantastic. As for today's guest, throughout their career, they've worked with the likes of Apple, American Express, and most recently, the very cool aforementioned Artsy, a self-proclaimed lover of new technologies and more so making them accessible to non-geeks. I'm thrilled to have her on the show, Senior Director of Engineering at Artsy, the great Kathy Taffel is here. Kathy, hello to you. How are you doing? I am doing fine. It is finally uh, spring here in Berlin. That means we've got a little bit more light in our universe. And that also affects your emotions, as you know. Awesome. Well, I, we too uh, over here in New York cannot wait for the warmer months. It's like fake spring right now where it's like uh, it, it's beautiful and sunny, but still a tad too chilly for my liking. Um, Alan, I want to start with you, as we often do on the emotion side of this thing. I, I was literally just yesterday made aware of this incredible Google arts and culture project you and Dacker worked on. Uh, I'm, I'm almost mad. You didn't tell me sooner. Almost. Uh, but my understanding, and you keep me honest here, you guys asked uh, 1300 people to describe how uh, 1500 paintings make them feel by choosing from different words and stuff like that. And the process that you went through, it was, this would yield, I don't know, like 25 different emotions that people linked to the artwork. And then you, uh, as you and the Hume team are wont to do plotted these, uh, 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 feelings on a map, an interactive map that people can go right now and look at. Um, so there's a paper out there. The data is currently under review. But one, one of my questions was, and I know this may seem a little on the nose, but I swear 
I wrote this long before I knew how uh, well-equipped you were to answer it. But w- what do we know about what art makes us feel, how it makes us feel? Uh, how is that different from spontaneous emotion? Just w- whatever you've learned, not just in that study or, or just what you know as being a generally very smart man. Uh, tell me, Tell me what you know about uh, our emotional relationship with art. Yeah, I mean, so that study you mentioned is basically the first quantitative examination at that scale of the feelings evoked by art. And we learned, we confirmed basically that art evokes really complex and profound feelings, not just the ones that you register sort of facial expression and and the voice every day, like joy and sadness and confusion, but also really aesthetically complex, nuanced experiences, like whether something is intricate or whimsical or disorienting. They go well beyond everyday emotional expression. And, you know, these aren't critics. These are just regular people. And they can reliably identify 25 different dimensions of emotional experience that are evoked by artwork. Uh, So they're things that are really profound, like spiritual, psychedelic, uh, mysterious, elegant, and go, you know, way beyond, beyond hedonism, beyond everyday emotion more elevated, profound expressions and and feelings. And this will ring true to people who appreciate art, probably, but it really hasn't been characterized by science. So I would say it goes so far as to say like science hasn't really explored this realm of emotional ecstatic experience very much. And this study is the first to offer, I would say, quantitative evidence that art has this unique power. And it's unique because it's different from ordinary means of of expressing ourselves through the face, through the voice, through language to evoke a really wide range of profound feelings. And they're the ones that a lot of them are the ones that art appreciators talk about. And we've mapped these out for the first time with the help of Google Arts and Culture and paintings from around the world, uh, from thousands of years of human history. And anyone can peruse the map on the Art Emotions uh, map section of the Google Arts and Culture website. Yeah, the, uh, the map's publicly available, right? We can put a link to it in the show notes so people can go check it out because yeah. I was getting lost in it yesterday and it was just blowing <laughs> my mind. It was so much fun. Totally. Um, uh, real quick, what was, since this is like the first time that we sort of have this quantitative like data and analysis, what was something, was there something that surprised you once you, the data started coming back? Like what were your expectations and were they met or blown away kind of thing? Yeah. So, I mean, we normally look at a really wide range of emotions and people already identify a much wider range of emotions and facial expressions and in the voice than, than science had really studied. And this goes beyond that. We were curious, does art go even further? Does it get, capture even more nuance, even more complex feelings that even this like, wide range of emotions doesn't capture? And it does. If you want to know basically whether people appreciate a work of art, you have to explore this more complex realm. Um, whether something is elegant, for example, that's not a facial expression. Right. <laughs> but that is something that is just this intangible, well, I guess it's tangible in some way, quality <laughs> that people reliably take away from a piece of art. Um, and I think only art really has that. And, and art being this wider realm of you know, paintings and music and fine art and so forth has this capability of, of, of capturing this much nuance and kind of profundity in, in everyday experience and bringing it out and kind of showing you, showing you this representation in different forms. Wow. All right. Well, there's... Well, there's a lot in there to unpack, and I'm sure a lot of that's going to inform some of the questions as we go along here as well. Uh, but very exciting. And as the, the so my notes here, there's a paper that's under review, right? Is that what's going on right now? So there's, yeah, we have a paper under review, okay. but people can explore the map, which is uh, which was launched uh, a few months ago, 
And yeah, we ex- expect cool. the paper to, to get some attention, hopefully. <laughs> very, very cool. All right. When yeah. that happens, we'll, we'll do another one of those bonus episodes and I'll just throw a billion questions at you. Kathy, I was reading your bio and you open with a line that I really like. It says, I like being a part of making uh, big things happen in technology that make the world a better place for regular people. Uh, beautiful sentiment. And so before we get lost in the weeds of what makes art art and in the role AI plays and all that, I just love to know first, like what brought you to Artsy and, and what excites you about the work that you get to do over there? Sure. So I think um, the what we just heard from Alan about um, the um, profundity and the wide range uh, of human culture is actually uh, what drew me to this subject matter. As a technologist, of course, I can put my brain and my intellect to almost any uh, facet of society and amplify it uh, with technology. Um, and at this point in my career, and just looking at where the world is, I really want to ask, what, what do we need more of in this world? Yeah. And, um, you know, what and, and, and moreover, what am I actually good at helping with? Uh, and uh, so those intersections um, are interesting to play with. I, I had a little bit of, oh, I should do something about climate change uh, because I want to leave the world a better place for my child. Uh, and you know what? Honestly, I don't have a lot to say about transportation. And there's some much um, deeper minds on transport than, than my own. However, I do have a wealth of knowledge from having started my career uh, in the music industry uh, and helped get to uh, tools in the hands of uh, ordinary people that were you used to need a $50,000 studio for uh, all the way to Apple and just like really getting frustrated when people say, oh, I'm not creative uh, or the computer, uh, there's something wrong with the computer. I can't make it do what I want. And that really propelled me a lot uh, early in my career to solve some of those problems. Uh, but, but ultimately, it's all in service of who we are as humans. Uh, and uh, how can we move the, the cultural conversation forward? And this is what I really love about Artsy. We've got this really wonderful editorial staff and curatorial staff that works with our galleries and has an opinion about yeah. culture. And this is what I just... I'm I'm in it for this is what the game is for me. Yeah, I want to come back to, in just a moment to the 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 curating staff and the and the staff that you have there. But first, I, I want to call out this just um, awesome through line uh, with what you just mentioned in your career of sort of putting those tools in the hands of those that didn't have it before. We talk so much all the time on this podcast about the democratization of be it filmmaking or or music production or just all of these disciplines. And today, very much about how artsy is bringing uh, uh, the the art community and, and art collection to the masses in a way that hasn't been done before. And it's just really awesome to see that through line in your career uh, of living that mantra of like taking technology and making it really uh, something really easy for people to, to use and appreciate. Uh, and I think that's awesome. Uh, let's get into the, the curation team, because I'm always curious about the ways services are and aren't incorporating AI into the workflow. And so I was reading, and my understanding is that every uh, artsy member has access to the artsy specialists who come from auction houses and galleries and museums, and, and they are actual human beings uniquely equipped to help you find art uh, within your price range 
change and match your tastes and all that sort of stuff. And it feel like, and I understand why we have people doing that, but it also, in all the things we're talking about, it feels like a job that's ripe for like a recommendation engine or something that AI could jump in and help with. And I'm wondering about the balance or, or why the decision to keep the human element there or, or if there's AI being employed, all that stuff. I'm really curious and love to hear you talk about. Sure. Well, I, w- I went back in time with the help of Sarah Hack, who's one of our uh, machine learning engineers. Uh, and she pointed me to um, um, GitHub repo that has been around for six years. So we've been doing machine learning uh, at Artsy for at least that long, if not longer in a, a different different um uh, places. So you, you will find, uh, that sort of how we sort things is based mm-hmm. on a recommendation engine. And, um, you know, it's not that every, you have to be at a certain budget to really take it most advantage of our advisory team. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, we think that right now we're AI and by AI, we mean machine learning and by machine learning, we mean neural nets at a certain level of depth. Um, what they can do right now is amplify our mm. own biases as humans. And you can see this um, uh, on some of the poorer sides of AI uh, and machine learning and neural nets where you train things on just white skin and then people can't have their soap dispensed uh, by an electronic sensor. And I think you're helping to fix that as well, which is wonderful. Um, But uh, so we're amplifying bias. And so what we're biasing right now and what we're amplifying are these editors and these curators. Mm. And so, you know, we've got... um, um, I think millions of pieces of art and hundreds of thousands of artists and, and many, many, many users. And I think if you calculate the intersection of all of that, it would be like 12 trillion interactions. And there's no way that any human is going to make sense of that. What? Exactly. Exactly. So you talk about art being big data. It's actually big data. And this is where uh, we at Artsy just love as technologists to be able to come in play with this data. You know, one of the first things that we did is we made this thing called a genome project. Uh, and so this is one of the first things that we use to help us um, sort algorithmically uh, what you get to see in front of you. Wow. Um, yeah. So we've been at it for a while. and But at the same time, um, I think that you can also get into this kind of uncanny valley with AI mm. where it just, it's almost there and it it, it almost is right. And then but there's just something off about it. And that's where if we bring in this curatorial and human element, then we kind of avoid that uncanny valley. And I think yeah. that kind of, Oh, Alan, did you want to say something? Cause I had a question. Yeah, no, I, I just, I just wanted to build on that idea of amplification. Cause it reminds me of, we were talking a few episodes back about uh, medical diagnosis as kind mm-hmm. of data processing. It's like a really expensive form of data processing. We have to bring in a radiologist or whoever to look at this data um, and uh, it's not that, provi- that bringing in AI is going to replace the radiologist. No, because like the radiologist is only reaching a small fraction of the population that needs that review. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is you're making it cheap enough for the radiologist to scale that process. You're creating a funnel for review. You're creating ways of extending their judgments to multiple things that enable more people to be reached by that. And I think that's basically what's happening here as well. It's instead of a radiologist, the art curator or editor or, um, or, you know, a critic who's basically able to, and I think they've contributed a lot to being able to understand what 
the tradition of a given kind of artistic style or form is and where emotions conveyed and and, uh, and where it kind of belongs in the broader taxonomy of art and being able to scale their expertise using AI. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Super cool. Uh, and I think, I think in there is the answer to my next question, but I really wanted to ask this because I, uh, I heard about this yesterday and I got super excited. Okay. This is going to sound crazy, but our executive producer, she has a very close friend who's an artist, right? And their pieces uh, sell for thousands and thousands of dollars and such. And they were talking and she was telling us that the wild thing is that it's not just about selling a piece, but a lot of times it's about finding the right buyer and, mm-hmm. and being able to say like, my work is currently featured in XYZ gallery and stuff like that and i totally get that that makes sense and i'm curious have you guys had to walk a line of matching people with the right pieces and but also building a more inclusive platform so everyone's able to buy but then also still catering to those clients who have like very specific needs and requests like how do you is that where the human element comes in essentially because it's, it's there's so many things to kind of parse to to make sure you're matching the right things Sure. Yeah. And so th- this is actually, you're bringing up some part of the um, art world that I had no idea until mm-hmm. I joined Artsy. Um, I was much more of an aficionado. Um, I do have some pieces, but I am by no means, um, you know, New York gallery um, um, maven. And um, there are there are some pieces and artists who are like, well, I need to have a certain caliber of buyer for my artwork to remain at the worth that right. it's at. And so one of the things that we're working um, on with the collection part of our uh, app is a way for you to show your collector resume to a gallery so mm-hmm. they can see that you do have these pieces, et cetera, et cetera. So this is something that I think we just launched on um, the app and we'll come to the web later. Uh, but it is, again, uh, to try to democratize this, this, this uh, transaction. Yeah, it's such, it's so cool to to kind of figure out a solution to that, right? To walk that line where you open the doors for everybody, but make sure that the needs of the culture and the business are still being met, and that the things are happening. And that's exactly. just it's the perfect blend, the blend of old and new, right? It um, is. No. It is. You know, and our, our our CEO talks about having walked into a gallery after having just had an exit from his former company and uh, just not really feeling welcome. And so mm-hmm. that's what we really want to make sure is that the art world can become more welcoming. Uh, yeah. I think I was just, uh, Mike Steeb, am I saying that right? Yes. Is that, yeah, I was just reading uh, an interview he did with Business Insider and he was talking about that experience as well. And um, he was talking about the the transparency and pricing is one of the, the big groundbreaking things that you, you, you wouldn't expect, uh, but it is, it's a huge deal. Cause like it, for years in the, the physical realm, you'd walk into a gallery or something and you'd fall in love with a piece and you wouldn't even know what the price was or if it was available at all, or you'd find out it is available and it's way outside your budget. And so just having that transparency has been such a huge deal and talking about how important the price is and, and just knowing the price and how one arrives at the price is AI uh, leveraged at all in terms of analyzing a piece and offering an appropriate quote, or is that still a uniquely human process as well? I think that, well, that 
I, I think again, uh, with the amplification side of things, yeah. I think you could, you, we can begin to like, we just have this artsy price database, which has recent auction results. And this is something where you can begin to map that to your collection and, and so on. Um, but it is still one of these things that you have very sparse data. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you can extrapolate, but um, you might not want to have that be your only data point. Like, for instance, if a piece of art only changes hands three times in a century, it might not be enough data to draw a conclusion from about the value of something. Yeah. You hope it's exchanged hands at least one time, though. Wow. I, I just love the idea three times within it, just having uh, the, the, the log, the data log of knowing for where this thing has been physically for over a hundred years. <laughs> it's, I'm just so used to the digital world. So when I enter the fine art world and they have these pieces that have existed for so long, it's kind of like the difference between traveling in America and then traveling in Europe where it's like, Oh, that church was built in uh, 1922. And then you go and they're like, yeah, we have castles uh, from forever ago <laughs> over here. Um, all right. So we're talking about, uh, one thing that always pops to mind um, when we talk about all the ways that AI is working, all these blending old and new, uh, I think of uh, subscription models. I think of Netflix. You know, you have artists, uh, you have your collectors owning the piece, showing it off and, and saying this is mine. We talk about changing hands very rarely, like three times over a century or something. It's very much a part of it. But as you democratize the process, as more people enter the culture and as kids and adults that grew up in a world without physical media um, start to enter this world, do you, do you guys, are you seeing a demand? Do you foresee a demand for some sort of subscription model where instead of buying a piece, somebody comes in and says, I'm going to, why, why pay $2,000 for one sculpture when I can pay half that and then every six months get a, a new piece to show off or something? Uh, do you see any interest in that or is that something the opposite is happening? Well, I'm curious. I, I don't really see, like, we don't see demand. Now, granted, we have a very conservative audience mm -hmm. uh, and you know we're actually lucky that we we began to take off and really scale when things needed to go a little virtual for the last two years uh, otherwise our art market may not have shifted so much online as it has done right. in, in the last two years um so i don't I think that there's something, you know, if we talk about the emotions, I might want to ask about the, the emotions of ownership or the emotion of owning this moment. And I don't know if you want to share that necessarily with someone or what if they have a different moment and then it changes the art for you. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's a little bit more special. Now, you know, you, you talk about the changing hands and the... Um, the ownership a little faster, you know, the NFT world is somewhere where things might change hands a little bit more frequently. And this is something where we're still looking just to see if there is an intersection of interest um, uh, between the old and the new. So the old collectors, the new collectors. So we're, we're, we're dipping our feet into the waters, as you can yeah. see with a couple of auctions um, at the beginning of this year. And then we've got one um, coming up that benefits, uh, I think it's Girls Code. Yes, I wrote that down. Yes. I thought that was really cool. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, you, you hear maybe just a little bit of cautiousness in, in mm -hmm. my voice here because 
I, you know, as I, I went back to uh, talking about um, at, the, uh, at the beginning uh, with my career, wanting to do something for climate change, there's been some real impact of uh, some of the different currencies on the environment. And 100%. Um, something to read, read about. And then I have to ask myself, but then what about all of these deep learning AIs and the computational intense uh, nature of them? Back when it was only 16-bit or 32-bit computing, the computers didn't take up that much energy. The results weren't as great, but uh, it might have been better for the planet. I yeah. don't know. And it, right now, maybe we want to divest ourselves of fossil fuels for geopolitical reasons. And see, this and then you get into these conversations, well, and they're not going to have this because I'm talking about art. And this yeah. is why I love and I come back and I still go back to why I love working uh, where I'm at. It also, it, re- it reminds me of, uh, there's an episode of the show, The Good Place, where uh, Maya Rudolph plays like this um, this, this judge that, that exists independent of time and existence. And, and the judge uh, doesn't understand why everyone's saying it's so hard to be good on earth. So she goes back for a day and then she comes back and she's like, yeah. It is impossible to make an ethical decision at this point. It has gotten so complicated. She's like, even if I just buy an organic tomato, well, I don't necessarily know the practices of that farm or where it's from and the impact of their equipment. It was just like so funny because you're right. You talk about NFTs and this event, which sounds incredible for Girls Who Code, but there's also, I was reading a ton of articles about the the amount of energy required to to sustain the the, the, uh, blockchain and cryptocurrencies and to mine and all that sort of stuff. And it's just, so layered and complicated um but i do let's focus on the really cool part which is um this is an event in support of girls who code an awesome cause and it's featuring a selection of nft backed generative artwork uh, by women and non-binary artists okay and uh the the reason i was really excited about that not just because of the 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 great benefit there but also this is everything we're talking about generative artwork uh the nft Mm -hmm. element you know i i'm curious just talking about that for a second you know if you can speak to any of the trends you're seeing is it the popularity and buzziness of nfts is that making um uh, traditional art more or less popular have you seen anything like that or is it two separate groups which i think is what you were just starting to say a moment ago i think it hasn't had uh, we have yet to see anything that we could definitively yeah, say could be too soon could be too soon yeah i think yeah. i think it'll be too soon and i think there's something to the generative art and i you know i've been around this area also many many years um uh you know a friend of mine who was uh in that first software business that i was in went on to make this program called studio artist and it's one of the first tools that really used ai uh so we've had this around in our tool chest for a while i like the generative art i I like there's another project called electric sheep where um you know you're voting on the screensaver aesthetics um (laughs) some really fun really fun projects uh um, uh, but has anybody um, made the living with selling that generative piece per se? I don't know yet. Yeah. And maybe it's because it needed this certificate of authenticity. Right. And maybe that's where this has the, the, the role to play. Yeah. Um, and then there are some pieces, you know, if we talk, go back to awe, you know, like I personally am not moved at all by a JPEG of a monkey. 
don't know about you. Uh, Skunk everything for me, Kathy. What's the monkey doing? Is, he, is the monkey wearing a little hat? Does it have a fake Does it have a tiger in its mouth? Yeah. yeah. So, so this is where I say sometimes it's not my circus, not my monkeys. And then there's that. these pieces that are very hugely displayed. I mean, huge. And then you can have that sense of awe and coming into a relationship with that piece. Yeah. And then it's not necessarily just digital on your piece. It's still very site-specific and, and time and place-specific. And I think that's one of the things that creates these moments that we talk about that maybe people do want to capture or collect. Yeah. And the, the rarity of the expression and that really, there's a tension there between the copyability of digital yeah. versus the uniqueness of a experience that people are after. Uh, yeah, that's a hundred percent. You yeah. talked about like the psychology of ownership. So yeah, no, I think, I think that's spot on is that, um, people have this idea of, I mean, Walter Benjamin called it the aura of like a given piece of art. If it's authentic that, you know, he, his, his argument was that photography is going to be, you know, the end of art because photography <laughs> is mass reproducible. So it yeah. doesn't have this aura. I mean, um, that's, uh, sort of what NFTs are combating, right? It's basically yeah. like bringing this back to what is essentially photography, something that's easily mass reproducible, even more so than photography was in Walter Benjamin's day. Um, and Paul Bloom talks, and that was early, early 20th century. And Paul Bloom, um, who's a famous uh, psychologist today, talks about um, essentialism, psychology of essentialism, and how, uh, you know, the unique, when, it, when an object is imbued with some sort of essence, um, we kind of establish a relationship with it. Um, and it's almost like a pet, <laughs> you know. Uh, and, and so there's, there's something to owning a piece of art for that reason and not wanting to kind of part with it. Yeah. Um, and so I think NFTs are trying to replicate some of that. And so there is something to be said for that. Uh, you know, on the other hand, somebody can literally copy paste the JPEG that the NFT is, <laughs> is, you know, uh, uh, is attached to and 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 you can you can use that in your Twitter profile picture. Right, piss, piss people off. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. One of the things I was like trying to figure out the, the the what the excitement is, other than just the the newness of it. And one of the things that they're seeing is like, um, especially with PFP. So the per, the profile picture NFTs, like the uh, was it the board eight yacht club uh, board apes or something. But the the reason one of the things they're seeing is like, well, you can buy that pr profile pick and then yeah you can use it as your twitter profile your twitch profile or whatever and that's sort of like akin to having a gallery in your home that's the way your digital presence sort of shows the world i'm cool i bought this thing this thing speaks to me and i want you to know that i connect to this thing and here it is and so that that avatar has become so much more meaningful uh than when it was originally conceived it's now like the 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 wall upon which you hang your preferred art and stuff it's really it's wild to, to kind of see how that shifts. But Kathy, I feel like I cut you off. You were about to say something. Well, I was I was going to say that part of, part of the thing that you know I also find interesting. I had, I follow some artists, some NFT artists, because I need to because it's yeah. part of our business. And um, th these guys have actually uh, are showing me interesting generative art, are connecting me with interesting um, people on Twitter that I would never have followed before. Uh, and then one of the things that I love is there's this, um, just a 3d gallery that you can make from your collection. Um, and so then here's another, it's not just the little JPEG, it's this immersive experience. And that, you know, 
I'm I don't know where the, when that will be. At least a hundred years. Yeah. I don't know when it when it'll be really <laughs> useful. Um, I mean, we talk a little bit about when when will it get when will when will we really be replaced by uh, AI? And I'm just going to yeah. put it after I die. <laughs> that's safe that's a very safe answer uh it's, in, it's entirely possible it's also it's it's hopeful it's like hey maybe i won't have to worry about it um uh alan real quick before we get too far from it and i think i already know the answer but by chance in your um and your uh uh the 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 Google arts and culture piece that you've done were any of the art pieces that people responded to were any of them generative or were they all traditional human uh created art pieces those were all traditional human created art pieces from the yeah. last, you know, mostly paintings from the last uh, few millennia. Yeah. Know, going all the way back to cave art, actually. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and they're I'd all be... human pieces, though. This is the thing. Well, yeah. That, yeah, that's the generative thing. It is still the human who made the algorithm and it is then curating which of the 50,000 pieces it generated are they going to put on display. That's a, that's a very good sure. point. It is. It is it, it's easily uh, thought of and dismissed as a replacement, but but it's not talked about enough as being a tool, uh, just as much as mm -hmm. like a paintbrush is a tool, right? Uh, this is just a different, unique tool that we haven't had until now, um, and that kind of brings up one of the other questions that we were we were pondering is is what happens if it becomes the de facto tool? If it's the tool that uh, people want to buy the most, if it's the tool that's the most popular, I. I don't think it's possible that AI uh, generated art would uh, completely wipe out the existence of artists with paintbrushes, but what does it do to the community or to the culture if that becomes the dominant thing uh, is an interesting question that I think Alan raised, but I wonder. Yeah, no, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, share, I share Kathy's suspicion that this is not going to happen for a while um, <laughs> because art is probably one of the last things that will be replaced by AI. <laughs> but, you know, it's not inconceivable that AI could take all of the artworks that are available today, um, not necessarily create something entirely new, but combine them in ways that are interesting enough uh, and, and sort of interpolate them in these really high level complex ways. And it's already starting to do that. You have uh, you can create a painting in the style of Van Gogh with style transfer, and that's sort of a simple technology version yeah. of this. Um, but you know, perhaps you could say, well, what, what if Van Gogh had actually painted this scene? What would it look like? Um, and it could be a really perfect idea of that. <laughs> um, or it could be, you know, what if you were halfway between Van Gogh and um, you know Chagall, or, you know, some some other artists in a different style, different period, um, and actually come up with some very convincing rendition of that that is very pleasing to the eye. The people actually, if they didn't know it was AI generated, would prefer in a blind taste test over other over other paintings. Like what happens then? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I yeah. think essentialism takes hold. We still sort of see things as uh, you know tied to the artists who created them. And, uh, and so that is a fundamental limitation. But should it? Is that really how we should choose the art that we hang on our walls? Because um, at the end of the day, you're not going to spend too much time probably explaining it to people. Yeah. And it's mostly decorative. And so I don't know, that could go both ways on that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Alan, we talked a little bit, uh, we mentioned the Google Arts and Culture Study earlier, and uh, my understanding right now, the, the, from the little bit of research I've done and read, uh, most AI-generated pieces, and, and Kathy, you certainly know more than I will on this, but most of the AI-generated pieces are driven, there's a big library of data, be it a, a, a series of portraits or what have you, that gets loaded in, that gets analyzed, and then the machine is making aesthetic choices to combine and, and put those things together into new pieces, and then there's, a, like you said, a human curator who's picking from those 50,000 new pieces and saying, these are the, the ones that I want to display. But is it conceivable, uh, instead of making aesthetic choices, using like the data, Alan, that you have, like picture this, this is a crazy idea, all right? You walk in, blank canvas is hanging on the wall, and there's a camera or something that can sense your emotion, right? And read your emotion, and then generate a piece unique to you in that moment and put it on that canvas. Is that possible? Uh, or did somebody already do that? Uh, will that be possible? What do you, what do you think about that? I think that's possible. And I think that's probably one of the more promising areas, not necessarily even generating it, but you could choose from all the artworks that you've ever enjoyed in your life. Um, and each one, you know, is tied to some specific moment in your life has personal meaning to you, or, you know, might just have a general emotional impact on people that it understands and can characterize. And it can basically surface these at the right times. And I don't see that being that difficult. Um, yeah. You could already, you know, kind of, and I think the AI could, Maybe it doesn't know how good a piece of art is, yeah. but it could say this is the general tone of it. I think it, it, AI can do that. It could, you could, with enough uh, examples, it could be able to say this is sort of an elegant piece of art, or or this is something that's trying to be more psychedelic or dreamy or whimsical or whatever, what have you. Um, and it could be able to sort those artworks into those general categories and be right most of the time. Hmm. Uh, and and. If it knows then something about whether the art's good or bad, it's imposed by art curators, appreciators, people who price art, by yourself. You know, you might have art that you like that you have sort of put into your Pinterest or whatever repository you have or artsy. Um, you uh, it could then it could then literally surface the right things at the right times. I think that's that's totally reasonable. Or you know, it could surface things maybe that are uh, that match the tone of the room. Um, yeah. So if you're having a party, <laughs> it's not it's not hanging um, you know some really sentimental piece. It's more of like a, a, a happy tone, <laughs> or uh, or if you're you know maybe it's the tone of the music even. Yeah, uh, you could play music and it, it, you know these. I think these technologies are. are that's that's what like triggered that. That's what planted that seed. Is we've talked about uh, yeah. services that are are looking to generate um, music based on your current emotion or recommend music based on your emotion. It's like, well, how far does that go? We already have Netflix yeah. trying to recommend things based on our preference. Maybe not how I feel when I sit down, but based on my preference. And so, there's got to be a big machine somewhere trying to figure out everything about me and then push stuff at me to give it money. That's that's America, isn't it? That's <laughs> <laughs> that is ad marker targeting, right? But, uh, <laughs> but you know, this would ideally be something you have more control over because it's not an ad; it's content, right? So, got it. Um, got it. Yeah. Uh, so maybe think, this is this is yeah. You make, you make a decision to offer your data, and you get something in return. For cool, for sure. Um, Kathy, you mentioned something interesting when you were talking about the difference between like not being moved by a JPEG of a monkey, which I take issue with, but I understand. And, uh, but rather being moved by like the, like, a, like, uh, sort of being awestricken by the scale of a larger piece or something like that. Are you guys seeing any cool, interesting things in terms of like, especially with, uh, uh with this girls who code thing coming up with NFTs, with people trying to interesting ways that people are bringing them into the physical realm, even though they exist and are primarily digital 
uh, commodities, but the, to, to sort of bridge that gap and attract another, are you seeing cool stuff and like sort of solutions to that problem of how do we communicate this in a traditional sense? Sure. So I'm um, in engineering, don't see a lot of it because yeah. I stay in my engineering world. But it's my understanding that some of the art fairs, uh, I think Miami had uh, some NFT displays. I'm even seeing NFT galleries show up in London and maybe even New York where you can go in and see the NFTs. And the Koenig Gallery here in Berlin had a piece that had people on a line down the street um, waiting to see the, see the piece. Yeah. Uh, so yes and no. And and then is it then this existentialist thing? And it's not really the the fact that it's an NFT is not the interesting part piece. Mm-hmm. And from our point of view, what we're really going after mostly with many of our artists are the artists who are now interested in doing NFT. We want to continue the relationship. The galleries who want to adopt NFTs, we want to make sure that our platform is enabling them. Um, and so we really think it's the the, gallery, the galleries and artists are going to be the ones who move this forward such as it gets moved forward yeah and something that didn't even click for me right now until you just said the the nft isn't the interesting thing but i I didn't even realize that when i keep saying all the excitement around nft that'd be like me saying like the excitement around this uh marble sculpture it's it's the media it's not where i'm not even talking about the piece i'm talking about the medium and i wonder how long until we're we're we we get past that and we start acknowledging the art more so uh, in the mainstream. Because right now, the mainstream conversation is just like this magical thing, the NFT, that nobody knows but makes people rich somehow. Uh, it's like what everyone's talking about. But it's, there's obviously a lot more going on there. Yeah, I mean, there's something gimmicky about buying like a reproducible sort of monkey NFT. But if it's really amazing, an amazing piece of digital art and you really earnestly want to prove your ownership of it, that's yeah. a whole different story, right? It's a whole different story. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the things that you're not... Um, and first of all, I apologize because you're right. That uh, scope that was a question that kind of falls out of your purview as as uh, as an engineer. But I'm curious, what were some of the uh, uh, most exciting challenges that you have faced that that were directly in your that you got to like the problem you got to solve? What was like the most exciting one so far that you guys have been working on? If you can pull the curtain back and reveal that, obviously. Gosh. Um... So what I've been working on since I've gotten to Artsy that I really like is, um, and it's a simple thing. It just makes me happy. So I'll just, and, and anybody can have it is, um, we've got a widget on our home screen on iOS and, uh, we have our editorial people pick out what we call the trove and then it shows up on my home screen. And I know this is not yet AI, but you know, here I get to have something out of my bubble and, um, this is what I struggle with is when all of the algorithms of the universe are amplifying my own taste, then it's an echo chamber. And where do I get the novelty? Where do I get something new? Where do I get something that is just a little outside or maybe far Mm. outside what I would normally do? Uh, This is what I think as a creative person, uh, if you don't want to become irrelevant or derivative, you have to continuously get new things into your environment. And as an audio engineer, you know that if you don't keep feeding noise and feedback into the loop, the wave dies. So this yep. is just there's many, many ways you can say this. You can say it with words, music, audio, whatever. You need to have input coming in as well as output. And so I love, I've got it, I've got it on the today screen. I've got it yeah. on the small screen and then I've got it on the next one. So I see it three different ways and I see new art all the time. And so this is what I am just 
overjoyed with. Um, I think it's just so simple. Yeah, but it's so simple. But I think, again, it's another one of those things where I was uh, so uh, comfortable and used to looking at a, a, a problem, if you could say a certain way, that it didn't even dawn on me as I keep saying, oh, the AI can make the canvas look like exactly what I need in that moment based on what it thinks. But it's like, yeah, that's the echo chamber. That's the problem. Everything's doing that right now. So how much more valuable is it to have something that uh, is broadening my horizons, that is exposing me to different voices, different art, different information. That's such a cool, you're right. It's so simple, but it's so important and so valuable to have that. Uh, that's a very, very cool thing. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Well, I, I invite you also to come to Berlin and, and also like this is one of the <laughs> things that I was finding a little bit in the United States cultural scene was it was just a little derivative mm -hmm. to me. Yeah. Uh, and this is uh, maybe a little overproduced. I don't know. This is my own taste change over time. And uh, there's more of a conversation I, I, I find. I'm on a more depth of a conversation. But who knows? Maybe AIs will do that for us too. <laughs> what do you think, Alan? Do you think they could? <laughs> I don't, yeah, I mean, they're not going to have the conversation for us, but I think AI has the opportunity to be optimized for something other than this is the kind of thing you've engaged in before. I think right. that there are much more interesting optimization functions that have yet to be explored, like emotion, I think, as an optimization function. I think, like, is this a trajectory you could be on uh, that would provoke you into some, something new and, uh, and potentially a breakthrough of some kind? You know, is this, uh, you know, it, knowing that you uh, were interested in this thing that's sort of unusual for your taste, maybe we can bring you even further along that mm. trajectory. That would be a different optimization function, right? Mm. Um, and I think these are all things that people should be exploring a lot more. But unfortunately, I think you're right. I think a lot of the AIs sort of right now optimized for what where they can get the most signal. Yeah. Um, and I think as the AI gets smarter, that we can move more away from that. But in the meantime, there's this danger of getting too caught up in just optimizing the same things you've already been engaged in. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. All right. We're coming in uh, to the home stretch, which is, uh, and we we always tend to tackle a lot of this stuff uh, in terms of like what's coming and what's here and what the future is going to look like. We've talked about a lot of change, a lot of new ideas. Uh, and I love always, if we can, to look in the not too distant future. Um, where do we see uh, all this tech that the AI is changing art in the art world the most? Is it going to be the artists as a tool? Is it going to be as a curator? Is, what do we think is going to be the, the most significant impact uh, looking to the not too distant future? Forget about when we're gone. But let's talk about before we get out of here. What, what do we think is going to be the biggest thing that we'll see in our lifetimes and, and where it'll fall? I'll wait. Yeah. You know, I think I've always loved the idea um, from when I first was hearing about AI, whether it was in science section or what of a little agent. Uh, uh, so I could I could program agents and maybe I don't even have to program the agents. Agents mm -hmm. would figure out what I needed. And uh, I guess maybe people stopped calling them that after the matrix. Uh, but um I like this idea, like you've got your little advisor on your shoulder and maybe it helps you get on the hunt and gets this. This is kind of like this collecting idea. It's, it's fun. It's addictive. Um, and I think people are in the hunt for data. They're on the hunt for the new. They're on the hunt for something. So here's something that could figure out just, I mean, I, I hope we can do a good job of this, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, 
at, at some point to have make sure that technology is a force for good in the world and to and to again help bring you into the cultural conversation mm-hmm. to give you tidbits about a piece of art that you have that you didn't know about um that maybe there's a trend that's upcoming um and you get all the forefront of it because you have these agents helping you out and you hope that you have eventually you hope you have this little swarm of agents doing the same thing for you with your finances and do i really have to file my taxes can my agent do that for me we've talked about the agents before (laughs) on this show um i raised the question of if my agent who i've entrusted with my finances goes rogue and uh I don't know, digitally robs a bank or something. Am I responsible for my agent? And uh, we had a nice long conversation about that. That's one of those problems I don't think I'll have to solve in my lifetime. But yes, the the digital agents is a very exciting idea for sure. For sure. Um, I personally take comfort, though, uh, knowing, Kathy, that people like yourself who are asking these questions, who this is a priority for, are actively out there engineering solutions in, in the stuff that we use. So thank you, um, not just for hanging out with us today, because I'm going to go to Alan for his answer on what he thinks about the future in a second, but also just for for asking those questions and making that a priority that, yes, we want to advance further, but I just uh, let's make sure we're doing it the right way and we're, and we're thinking about the right stuff. Uh, I appreciate you very much for that. Thank you um, very much. Of course, of course. Alan, Alan, what about you, sir? What, where do you see, where do you, where do you hope or, or predict the biggest uh, impact we'll see uh, uh, in this world with the, with the AI and stuff that we've been talking about, specifically in the art world? Yeah, I mean, I, I love what Artsy is doing and, and uh, the idea of democratizing, democratizing what an agent of uh, art curation or appreciation or, um, you know, broker, brokering art sales uh, does, democratizing it using AI by, by making it more powerful with the human in the loop and giving more people access without replacing them. I think that is a great theme for us. Um, I also would, would build on sort of what I, what I said last time with, uh, with Richard Karras, and that was a slightly different episode, mm-hmm. um, since it was on sort of digital creation and CGI and so forth. But the idea that some of these tools could be used to unlock abilities of artists or the, mm-hmm. the ability to take their imagination and make it into an art piece, um, as a tool, I think is really, really promising. Um, more so, much more so than I think AI actually taking the place of an artist. So, yeah. um, you know, the idea that you can sketch something in a person or an environment and it can create that, take that sketch and make it into a 3D model while preserving each aspect of, you know, at every level of analysis, the form and, uh, and style of the art that enables it to convey emotions um, and to convey incredible aesthetic experiences. But taking that, making it three dimensional making it interactive, making it a character that speaks to you, like all these things like really unlock new yeah. abilities for artists. I think that's going to be really extremely promising. Yeah. Amplifying as opposed to replacing. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, well, as per usual, no, no matter how much time I get with our guests uh, and, and you, Alan, it's just, it's simply not enough. Kathy, what a treat to have you on with us today. Uh, and I mean that sincerely. Thank you so, so much. We appreciate you making the time to hang out with us. I'm, I'm going to awesome. find an excuse to bring you back on. Really, I am. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to remind everyone to head over to artsy.net if you haven't yet. Uh, they are currently hosting a fundraising event to benefit and support the Ukrainian people. And of course, keep an eye out for the upcoming event and support of Girls Who Code. What better way to start your own collection if you haven't already? Do something for yourself and, and for some others out there is the perfect merge. Uh, Alan, 
do me a favor, man. Keep us posted on that paper that currently uh, is under review. And, and when you are ready to go with that, we'll do one of those bonus episodes. I'll ask a million questions about it. But uh, other than that, thank you, buddy, so much. I, I Sincerely, I can't host the show without you, and I love doing it with you. So thank you for being here. Uh, and, and hey, to those out there listening, watching, or both, if you're fancy, uh, do me a favor. If you think we did a halfway decent job, go on over to iTunes, throw us a five-star rating. Now, I, I, I know what you're thinking. He just said halfway decent. If I thought it was halfway decent, why am I going to give him the whole five stars? Because that other half, that's for you. All right, You're an amazing listener. You earned those two and a half stars. Don't let anyone take them away. Together, between the two of us, we get five up on the board. And that, my friend, well, that's teamwork. Uh, after you do that, do yourself a favor. Email the show directly at thefeelingslab at hume.ai. T-H-E-F-E-E-L-I-N-G-S-L-A-B at H-U-M-E dot A-I. Whatever you want. Questions, comments long meandering paragraphs about your day doesn't matter it's email it's free send us something send us something good and maybe i'll read it on the air uh all right there you go you did it you made it all the way through my ridiculous outro uh and another outstanding episode of the feelings lab uh farewell for now my friends from the feelings lab i'm matt forte thanks again everybody and please stay safe out there